You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Today we are starting a brand new series wherein we're going to look into the awesomeness of God. Amen? So in fact, the word awesome will not suffice. The time that we have will not suffice for us to fully understand how great, glorious, and awesome God is. For this installment of this preaching, we will look into Exodus chapter 3. We will be reading quite a number of verses here. It says here, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Verse 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Let's try to understand the context of these verses that we've just read. So when we look into a certain story, especially a narrative, we start reading a story. In this case, we're looking at Exodus chapter 3. A lot of times, for us to understand a certain narrative, we have to understand there is what we call a larger context and the immediate context. There is no way for us to understand a certain passage without us looking into the larger context and the immediate context. But of course, for the sake of time, what we will do here today is just, we will simply look into the immediate context and I think you folks understand the larger context of this, that the people of Israel were oppressed and stuff like that. So let me just look into the immediate context of Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. The immediate context of this is found in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to 24. That's Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to 24. So this serves as a backdrop as to what was happening here. I trust and believe that you know the story of Moses. He used to be the prince of Egypt. Of course, you know, he has fallen from grace because of certain events in his life. Now, we are in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to 24. Here's what it says here. It says here, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, 
And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Then it says here, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. First, there's something that we need to understand here. Exodus chapter 2 makes a quick mention of the names Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it gives us a picture that we are far removed from the times of Abraham, the times of Isaac, and the time of Jacob, of Israel. We are now in the junction of the time of the prophet Moses. Just to give us a further understanding, we know for a fact that you know, Joseph, together with the Israelites, stayed in Egypt. They flourished in Egypt. They multiplied greatly in Egypt. They became, to a certain extent, a people of influence in a foreign land like Egypt. And of course, you know what happened with the different people, or rather different pharaohs and kings of Egypt coming and going, certain people, or perhaps the current generation of Egyptian at this time forgot about the deeds of Joseph, and this is where we are right now. In verse 24, it says here, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So first, I'd like first to really understand this. First of all, verse 24 confirms something to us. Like what I said, we're talking about hundreds of years here apart. Verse 24 specifically confirms to us the continuity and the unity of the covenant of God with Abraham. It's not like, okay, uh, we are 200 years past Abraham. Perhaps what God said to Abraham in the past has already been forgotten. And nope. The story here gives us a picture that there is a continuity in the covenant of grace. The covenant that God has, you know, the covenant that God had with Adam was called the covenant of works. Meaning to say, Adam was supposed to prove himself faithful for him to be affirmed. Remember the preaching in the gospel explained, he went from zero to negative. That was the covenant of works. Now, because he was not able to fulfill that, of course, God was ushering in a new or rather a second Adam in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That being the tipping point, and we have here the time of Moses, it gives us a picture that this timeline is what we call the covenant of grace. So we have the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Now, ever since the fall of Adam, Ever since the mistake or the sin of Adam, God was already outworking His covenant of grace for every single one of us. When God redeems His people then from Egypt, He isn't initiating a new plan. Here's, here's what I'd like for us to understand. Um, yes, the people of Israelite, the, the people of Israel rather, were crying out to God, isn't it? They were crying out to God, and God rescues them. But I want you to understand this. They're crying, or rather, God's redemption for them, or God's rescue for them, was not entirely a response to their crying. Catch it? But it simply gives us a picture that God here is simply fulfilling His promise to Abraham. All right? That is why I'd like first to understand, with all the events in our life, with all the events that are happening in the world, at the end of the day, God is sovereign. At the end of the day, we understand that we have to trust the providence of God 
Because as we understand, Romans chapter 8 gives us a picture that everything will turn out for the good of all those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that is what we have here. The exodus from Egypt was part of God's perfect eternal plan. Merong covenants of grace, covenant of work, guess what? Merong papong covenant of redemption between the Trinity. In eternity past, they have already thought about this. This was part of the eternal plan of God to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. That said, in fact, here's one ask. Look at this one. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Okay, this was God talking to Abraham. Here's what he says. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain, Abraham, that your offspring, together, that includes Moses and the rest of the guys, um, will be sojourners or pilgrims, you might say, uh, foreigners in a land that is not theirs. Talking about Egypt. And guess what? Here's what's going to happen to them. They will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Catch it? So I'd like for us to understand, every time you get into, your, into God's Word, every time you read the Bible, the stories that you have in God's Word are not unrelated to each other. They are connected to each other. That's why Genesis to Revelation is basically one story. That's the beauty of the Bible that you have. That's the beauty of God's Word. God here already told Abraham about all of these things. So here's what happened now. Going back to verse 23, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groanings. Here's my first question. God heard their cries. Was it because He heard them because they were the nicest people on earth? Nope. I doubt that they were the nicest people on earth. I doubt that the Jewish people during this time were the most pleasant people that you'd ever meet. I don't think so. But God remembered them, not because they were the nicest people on earth, but God remembered them because of His promise. At the end of the day, like what I said, it is not about us. It is about God and His words to every single one of us. Having said that, let's now go into verses 1 to 3. Then we'll look into verses 4 to 6. So we'll look at this. We'll try to sort this out this way. We'll look at verses 1 to 3. And then we'll look at verses 4 to 6. Then we'll look into 7 down to verse 12. Okay, so let's get into this now. Here's what we have. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Here's what it says. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Let's just pretend we don't know the story yet. Let's look at this in a fresh eyes. Again, this part of the story, we see that Moses was having a strange and unusual encounter. What was strange here? The strange thing here was something was burning, a bush was burning. Now, I'd like first to understand that this is what scholars would call a theophany. A theophany is simply a visible manifestation of God or the presence of God. In this case, I'd like first to understand that God reveals himself. Come on now. God reveals himself to Moses via a theophany. Now, it says here, he was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We see here that Moses was shepherding the flock. 
I'd like for us to have this in our mind for a while, that this man has really fallen from grace. He has really fallen from grace in a sense that he used to be the prince of Egypt. He used to be a royalty. And now here's what he was doing. He was far removed from his position of power. Here we have Moses now who was in the lowest rung of the Egyptian social class. I'll tell you what. Do you know how God orchestrated all of these things? Of all the jobs that Moses could have done, he became a shepherd. He could have been what? Sandals maker. He could have done all sorts of odd job, but shepherding. Those are two contrasting, two polar opposites. Why? Because look at this one. I'd like for you to understand, while it was welcoming or totally acceptable for Jewish people to become shepherds, for Egyptians, it is a loathsome job. Look at this one, Genesis chapter 46, verse 34. You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Prince to shepherd, highest to lowest. There's one word that's important here, and it is the word humility. This man was fully humbled down. And in his humility, God reveals himself to him. Tells me then, friends, that perhaps, I don't want to make a theological position, but perhaps just looking at this story, humility is prerequisite to encountering God. Humility then is prerequisite to encountering God. Let me just segue a little bit. Let's look at the name Moses for a while. I haven't really looked into the name, uh, what the name really means. But um, if, if you look at Egyptian pharaohs, not all of them, but a lot of them, their names are Ramesses. Uh, there's another one named Thutmosis. It simply means that Moses simply means son of. So if it is Ramesses, it's the son of Ram. If it's Tut Moses, he's the son of Tut. But if you look at this one, Moses having been brought up in the Egyptian household, his name was Moses. Moses. Which simply means son of. Meaning to say, at the end of the day, yes, he was given over to the Egyptians, but he was never identified to them in his name. He was still going to be the son of God. Love it. That's why I'm telling you, just by looking at the names looking at how things play out in God's Word, it will just really amaze us. Now, allow me to just look into some observations here for a while. In verses 1 to 3, here are some observations that we need to take note of, and I think some principles here will really apply to us. Look at this one first. It is interesting to note that God engages Moses in this encounter, and I'd like for us to understand that Moses was not in some sort of a pilgrimage. He wasn't going out, setting out for worship. He wasn't like all of us at 7.30 in the morning, 7 in the morning, preparing ourselves, putting on our makeup for us to be able to attend church. He wasn't doing all of those things. Gives us a picture that the first observation was Moses was not out looking for worship. In fact, he was doing the very mundane. He was out shepherding. He was out doing his job. And God interrupts him. What do we make of that? We understand that worship doesn't happen only on a given Sunday. 
tells me that my Tuesday workplace, my Tuesday desk is a perfect place for an encounter with God. That while you're doing your, while you're balancing your sheets, while you're changing the tires of your car, while you're doing all sorts of things, doing the very mundane of your day-to-day job that serves as a good backdrop to encounter God. He was sent out on a pilgrimage. And another thing, why is that supposed to be of interest to us? It tells us that it is always God who initiates. No wonder the book of Romans, Paul teaches us that the truth is there's no one who actually seeks the Lord. It's actually God who sought us out. Then it says here another thing, this is interesting. If you look at verses 1 and 2, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. You know, I have not been to Israel. Scholars would say there's something important here about the wilderness, or rather, about the flock being on the west side. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Look at this one. And the angel of the Lord. Look at this one. Here in these two verses, the words God and Lord are used. The words God and Lord are used. First, if you look at verse 1, in the beginning of verse 2, the words God and Lord are both used to refer to what? The God of Israel. Here's what I want us to understand. God is simply a generic ascription of the deity of God. Right? So, in short, it's coming from the word El, the Almighty One. It's a generic reference to God. That is why the Baals are also called gods. Ashtoreths can also be called God. But here, the story narrows it down to the Lord, which is the name of the God of Israel. You know how important that is that the word Lord, Yahweh, is mentioned here? I'd like for you to know this. Read the Old Testament. And as you read that, you would come to understand that the Israelites, they had a lot of enemies. Isn't it? They will have to go against the Philistines, the Amorites, all of these people, Jebusites, all of these people out there. But here's one thing that you would always be amazed. Every time the enemies of Israel would know the God of Israel is involved, Bible teaches us that dread falls upon them. Terror falls upon them. Confusion comes upon their camp. Every time the God of Israel is involved. What we have here is the God of Israel is speaking to him. I have to say it that way because certain kinds of quote-unquote gods could actually speak to him. But here we have, what we have here is the God of Israel speaking here. By the way, you know, Mount Horeb here is the Mount Sinai. And Sinai is actually Mount Horeb. Why the change of name? I don't know. Let's ask God when we get there. And then it says here in verse 2 to 3, and here's what happened. Look at this one. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. I'd like first to look at the latter part of verse 3. Here's what happens. It says here, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. What is that kind of attitude? That's curiosity, isn't it? Why was he curious? In a sense that during that time, there were actually a lot of burning bushes. The different thing with this bush is, it was burning but it wasn't being consumed. So Moses started looking at this burning bush 
that was not being consumed. What happened here was that he approached this to what? To investigate. So I'd like first to have this in our mind. Would you folks say this with me for a while? Curiosity. When something unusual happens, it makes us curious. That is what we have here. Here's another question. He went there to investigate. He was looking at this burning bush that was not being consumed. Have you ever experienced something like that? You tried to burn something, it wasn't uh, burning at all? One time, I saw this very weird book in our home, which belongs to my sister, my, our eldest. And when I became a Christian, I went home, I saw that book. I realized that, that that was a demonic book. When I became a Christian, I placed it outside and tried to burn that book. And guess what? It just wouldn't burn. <laughs> so I left it there because I got so afraid. Okay? All right. Okay, let's proceed. So here's the next question. Why the burning bush? Why the burning bush? Why was it burning? Why not a burning sand? Why not a burning uh, tree? Why not a burning father-in-law? Right? So why the burning bush? <laughs> why the burning bush? That's what we have. That's, that's another question that we have to contend here. Guess what? There's no specific answer to that. Perhaps people would say that it could depict the what? The slavery of the Egyptian for hundreds of years, yet they're not being consumed. But the easiest assumption that we could have, the easiest speculation we could have is this one. The reason for that is, if you read the Bible, you come to understand that fire is a symbol of the presence, the purity, and the holiness of God. That fire is a symbol, a representation of the presence, the purity, and the holiness of God. You folks remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, when God stationed the cherubims with what? With fiery swords. The tree... That marks a boundary between that which is unholy and that which is holy. So fire, in a sense, represents the presence and the purity of God. In short, fire is explicitly said to be a sign of God's presence in their time. And so we have here a manifestation of the holy God. The bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So this is such a strange sight that draws Moses towards the bush. What do we have here? God always has to take the initiative in revealing himself, in God, in revealing himself to his people. I'd like for us to know first that there is actually nothing holy about that mountain. If ever you get to that mountain, you don't have to kiss that mountain and wipe your handkerchief on that mountain. Because what makes a place Sacred or holy is the presence of God. What makes this place holy is the presence of God in this place. What makes your home holy is the presence of God in your home. Right? I hope that's very clear, but I'm not gonna really dwell in that. Let's go to verse 46 now. Here's what happened. So there was a burning bush when the Lord saw that he turned aside. Look at this one, verse 4. When God saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And here's what Moses said. Here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And here's what happened. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. In verse 1 to 3, I used a word a while ago and it was what? Moses was, come on now, curious. Something was burning. Something unusual was happening. Moses was curious and he started to investigate. 
But look at this one. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Now look at this one. I'd like first to look at verse 4 to 6. What do we see here? What was the disposition of Moses? He wasn't curious anymore. Isn't it? He wasn't curious anymore. Moses is left curious by what he sees. I want you to understand, this is very important. Based on what he saw, he became curious. He is not left curious when God starts speaking. He was curious at the sight of a burning bush, but he was not left curious when God starts speaking to him. Allow me to say a few things about that for a while. When a manifestation is seen, our emotions are elated. We get excited. We don't have it now, but isn't it that sometimes when you come to a place like this one during praise and worship with all the lights, blinding lights on our eyes with the fog machine here, it elates our emotion. It makes us excited. But friends, that's not all that there is. It incites curiosity and excitement. But look at this one. If I come to victory, the singers are leading worship here. And man, they have such a great sound equipment. It was beating through my chest. It makes me so excited. In fact, I started crying. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? It is a good thing. But here's my question. Isn't it that that is the same feeling that you feel in a concert? Isn't it that we become emotional as well with ABS-CBN station ID? Whether that's heavy metal or Mariah Carey, every time you attend a concert, it brings out or elates your emotion, incites emotion. It makes you excited and all of these things. What is my point? My point here is this one. If we go running after a burning bush experience as a premise for worship, we got it all wrong. If we look for something that will just engage your emotion, emotions are important, of course. We use emotions in our worship. I remember there was a conversation between, you know, with, with some of my pastor friends when we were in campus ministry. And, you know, youth service, up until now, but I guarantee you, we preach the word in our youth service. But in our youth service, says before, it's uh, full of noise. People jumping around. I mean, I, I tell you what, I, have, I had parents come up to me telling me, Why, where are the kids on top of the chairs and stuff like that? People were just uh, uh, jumping around. Hey, hey. And people were just jumping around. And you know, my pastor friend made an experiment. You know what he did? In the midst of all of this chaos of noise, praising, worshiping, he went up, he grabbed the microphone. You know what he said? Here's what he said. Everyone was so noisy. And here's what he said. Wah, 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 wah. God. And people were like, yeah. They didn't understand anything that he said. He purposely said those things, blubbered, rah, 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 then said, God afterwards. And people were like, yeah. What's the conclusion? No wonder. No wonder that we run after revivals without repentance. No wonder our integrity and conviction are so fickle, are so fragile, are so volatile, because we always depend on our emotions. We always depend on a burning bush experience. Another one of those comes, another one of those revivals. 
Revivals are good, but revival without repentance won't do you any good. And that is what we need to understand here. You know, sometimes coming from, coming from a certain service, coming from a certain event, a church event like ours, sometimes we ask the question, what did you experience? Mom, grab it, mommy. The lights were so good. The preacher was so loud. The preacher, mommy, was wearing something like this. It's a tattered jeans, mom, and uh, he has all of this bling bling. And, okay, that's what you've experienced. What have you learned? What have you learned about God? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, what matters is you understand who God is and what God is like. You listen to preachers who don't preach the Bible might as well go to a TED Talk speaker. Because I guarantee you, it will be not the case in a church like ours wherein we become motivational speakers. We are preachers and heralds of the truth. And that is what we ought to be like. Victory people, our desire for every single one of us is like what I said last week, that we will not grow desolate. That we will not grow in numbers by the thousands, by two thousand, and then we parade our accomplishment on the city. No. And then we are what? An inch, an, an inch deep in our growth, in our spiritual walk? Some of us have been Christians for 10, 15 years. We don't even know our Bible. And then when someone in the church knows his or her Bible, we label that person, Oi, he's a pastor now. Wait, pastor, pamigin pastor na yan. See, the level of mediocrity that we start to embrace, that when someone knows something about the Bible, we label that person as a preacher and a pastor already. Where in fact, the simple case is, if you are a Christian, you ought to know what the Word of God is like. You ought to know who God is and what God is like. And the only way for you to know who God is and what God is like is through His Word. Come on now. Are we Bible readers, friends? Come on now. Can we be Bible readers this year? Because that's what we have here. You know, when the, when the bush was burning, it was, he was just curious. But when God starts speaking, his disposition was different. The point here is when God encounters you, He encounters you by His Word. He encounters you by His Word. The revelation of God to Moses is not going to be the vision of the burning bush. It is going to be what God speaks to Moses. Look at this. I, I, I want to show you something. Verses 4 to 6. Here's the question. How does God, how does God reveal Himself to Moses? How does God reveal himself to Moses? Look at this one. In verse 4, here's what happened. Verse 4, God says, Moses, Moses. Right? He reveals himself to Moses by his word. Catch it? Then he starts saying, and he said, Moses said, here I am. Then, Mo then, he's, then God said, do not come near. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. He reveals himself to Moses by his command. And the next up, place where you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He reveals himself to Moses by his promise. Do you folks realize that just by saying, do you know that this can be a quiet time already? This can be your devotion. 
I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Sit down and think about that. And see if it will not bring faith or infuse faith in your spirit. That is, if you understand what God did to Abraham, to Jacob, to, to Isaac, and to Jacob. See, at the end of the day, we need to get into God's word. Now, what do we have here? What do we have here? Moses now is not merely curious. He was now awed. He was now in an attitude of worship. Moses' encounter with a self-revealed God is through his word, and it brings about a corresponding fear of God. Here's what happens here in verse 6. And Moses, what did he do? Come on now. Come on now. Look at this one. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Why? Because you understand, my goodness. Now I understand. He starts speaking to me. This is the one. This is the one to whom our patriarchs were talking about. This is the holy God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You folks catch that. Then we have that, that, that's why I was saying last Sunday, look at this one. Moses here encountered God. This was the prophet Moses encountering God. He hid his face. Like that's why I was saying last week. And then sometimes we have the audacity to worship God and we cross our arms. Well, I'm not saying that when we come to church during praise and worship time that we have to raise our arms, but uh, folks, come on now. Come on now, would you cross your arms before the presence of God? You know what? I don't, I don't take any issue if I preach here and you cross your arms, you raise your eyebrows. I, I, I don't really take an issue if you don't believe in the words that I'm saying or you disagree with the words that I'm saying in my opinions. But I simply wouldn't Welcome when we come before the presence of God and we cross our arms in the presence of God. Because you wouldn't do that to your boss. You wouldn't do that to the counselor. You wouldn't do that to the mayor. Then how dare we do that to God? Moses here hid his face. Why? It says here, here's the reason. Because he was afraid to look at God. A worshiper understands who God is and what God is like. And here's what happens here. Look at this one. Before I go there, let me just make it very clear, folks. We are not a people looking for burning bush experience. Your burning bush doesn't happen on your favorite song. If you come out here looking for your hill song, your dawn moment, if it's not being played at church and you're clapped out, what's wrong with you? Because we worship God based on what we know as to who God is and what He is like. So whatever the melody is, whoever is singing here, whether it's your favorite singer or not, command the entirety of your being to worship God. Some of you folks are listening at home. Perhaps it could mean what? Putting down the plate? Reading yourself for an online service? Why? Because you're about to encounter God. Come on now. 
I think it's a slumber that we have to wake up from. There is what happens here. Look at this one. What God tells Moses is this. Moses, Moses, isn't it? Moses, Moses, God calls Moses. And the response of Moses was, here I am. Look at this one. That is not just foreign to Moses. Look at this one. The same thing happens to Abram in Genesis chapter 22, verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abram, Abram. And here's what he said. He said, here I am. The same thing happened to Jacob. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. I told you, this is, these are not unrelated stories. Notice though, that immediately in verse 5, God commands Moses to stop coming near him. I love this. Look at this one. Here's what happens. Moses, Moses, here I am. The first thing that God says, verse 5, then God said, Moses, do not come near. Huh? Isn't it odd? You called me. Tom, Tom, Tom. Halira, good Tom. Padul si Tom. Ayaw padul Tom. That's what we have here. Moses, Moses, here I am. Do not come near, Moses. Why we ask? It is, be, it is not ultimately, it's not because God is unapproachable, but I'd like for us to look at two things. First, look at this one. Moses must not, everybody say must not. Moses must not approach God before he knows exactly who he is approaching. Moses, Moses, you know what? Moses didn't know that it was God. That's why God said, do not come near. He needs to know first. You, Moses, need to know first who I am that speaks to you. Moses must not approach God before he knows exactly who he's approaching. And so what God says was, he starts identifying himself as what? The God. Guess what, Moses? I am. I am. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Just by those words ringing in the minds of Moses, Moses knew who this person is, who this God is. Moses needs to know who it is that he is approaching before you can approach God and worship. You must know who he is. Come on now. We must know who God is. Because if we know who God is, I tell you what, I cannot do this way before the presence of God. I cannot do like this in the presence of God. I cannot, I cannot fiddle on my phone. I cannot fiddle, sorry. I cannot fiddle on my phone while worshiping God because I understand how holy this God is. Do we understand who we are worshiping here? Do we understand who we are worshiping in a church setting like this one? online services since the month of May. What were we doing? Are we worshiping God while lying down? Because I feel like if we simply know who God is, man, I just can't do that. Before you can approach God and worship, you must know who He is. You know, I sent a text message to some men. Uh, some of the young men in this church and I showed them a I showed them a picture of of uh, the description rather of the sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas okay Eli was a priest he was a follower of God the problem with, with Eli was um, his kids were not followers of God 
Hophni and Phinehas, here's what happened. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, here's what happens. The Bible says, Now the sons of Eli were what? Come on now. Were, were worthless men. Look at this one, friends. Look at this. In that same verse, it gives the reason why they were worthless. You know what it means? You know what it says? It says here, Because they did not know the Lord. The sons of Eli were worthless men because they did not know the Lord. Catch it? I look at that and I tell myself, man, Lord, I don't want to be a worthless man. I need to know who you are. That's a challenge for every single one of us. Here's the second one. Moses must not approach God until God gives him the instruction as to how he is to approach him. So in essence, he must approach God and he must approach God the way God wants him to approach him. You folks realize that that is the essence of true worship? That we do not approach God without knowing who he is? And then when we approach God, we approach God according to how He wants us to approach Him. God must first reveal Himself to you, and then God must tell you how we should approach, how we must approach Him in worship. In verse 5, God tells Moses, look at this one, to take your sandals off your feet. See, do not come near me until you know who I am. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Alright, now you know who I am. Approach me now. Take off your sandals, Moses. Take off your sandals. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Now, that is not to say that, I, that we require you to take off your shoes every time you come up to, to, to come to service. And, you know, this is, a, this is actually a Middle Eastern custom. A lot of times, here's what I, I'd like for us to understand. A lot of times, if you are a servant, going into the place of your master, the house of your master, you remove your sandals. God was simply telling Moses, you can approach me now, remove your sandals, because I'd like for you to understand that in the end, I am the master, I am the Lord, you are the servant. Not the other way around. Leave a church that teaches you that you are the master, that the world revolves around you. No. It's a journey from self-sovereignty to God's sovereignty. God was declaring to Moses that Moses, at the end of the day, you are, who, 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 are, who are you again, Moses? You are what again, Moses? You are a shepherd. Good. Then I am God. You're a servant. I am the master. Now come and worship me in that understanding. The place on which you stand is a holy ground. You know, this is the first instance that the word holy appears in the Bible. And it's the indirect connection to who God is. Like what I said, the mountain is not sacred, the presence of God is. The place is holy because God is there. Look at this one. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Verse 6. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. That's interesting. 
you know what that's interesting? Here's what happened. Look at this one. Did Moses, does he have a Bible? Wala. What was the revelation that he had that caused him to hide his face because he was afraid? The simple revelation that says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Isn't it? Just by that revelation, he trembled in fear. Friends, those lines are just one verse in our Bible. Now we, here's what we have now. Now we have the entire written revelation of God. Now we have in our hands our very own Bible. If, in one, if a one-liner caused him to fall before the presence of God, how much more should we? You folks have smartphones? I think all of us have smartphones. I think the cheapest smartphone now is like what? 5,000 pesos. Is it right? Tama ba? Magkano ba yung cheapest smartphone? You, you get one for 3,500. Sometimes, pinag-iipunan natin to. Right? Pinag-iipunan natin na, okay, ah, kailangan mapag-iipunan tong smartphone na to. 5,000, I will have to starve myself the next coming weeks, the next coming months to be able to get my brand new iPhone. You know what? If we value God's word, pag-iipunan rin natin yung Bible. A Bible, a Bible that can cost 8,000 pesos, we will say, huh, ang mahal naman ng Bible na yan. Oh, okay. But a smartphone that would cost us 8,000 pesos, we would say other, so ang mura naman ng cellphone na yan. Pag-iipunan ko yan. See? just gives us a picture of how far we have misplaced our values in this life. So I encourage everyone, please do not come here next Sunday without your Bible. Do not ever come here without your Bible. It can be a Bible in your phone, which, by the way, is downloadable for free. Or you can have a physical one. Either case, please do not come here without Bible. Amen? I'm saying that with love. Believe me. In verse 7, here's what happens. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, God said. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. Verse 9, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, Moses, that you may bring my own people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the children out of, of Israel out of Egypt, God? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Let's go into verse 12. God said, I will be with you, and you shall be the sign, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, when? Not if. Catch it? 
promise fulfilled. That's certain. Here's what happens. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Would you turn your Bibles for to Exodus chapter 3, verse 18? Look at this one. It says here in verse 18, And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now... Please let us go a three days journey to the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Go to Exodus chapter 4, verse 23. Here's what it says. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Go to Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to the Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast on me in the wilderness. Go to Exodus chapter 5, verse 3. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with His sword. You get a point? What's the point? God will save them for them to worship God. We are saved to worship. You are redeemed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that you may freely worship God. We were redeemed and saved, justified, and being sanctified for us to be able to worship God. The whole point of this life is to turn you from being a curious spectator of a burning bush to encountering God's word that you may become a true worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we may come before the presence of God and worship Him for who He is. Here's my guarantee to you. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you don't have to doubt your salvation. Amen? We don't have to doubt our salvation. If you're a Christian, like all of us here, we all falter and make mistakes, isn't it? There's none of us here who are perfect. So the prerequisite to worship is not perfection. The prerequisite to worship is redemption. So here's what I'd like for us to understand. I'd like for you to understand this. We are filthy people. We are not bad people. We are evil ones. Incapable of an inclination to do what is good. Our thoughts are evil. Our ways are evil. Our deeds are evil. Now if you understand how evil you are, here's what the gospel is. That you have been given and poured out. God has poured out His mercy and His grace to you. God has redeemed you. God has saved you. Your role now as a redeemed person is to worship the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.